0: Are you ready to talk Padres baseball? We've got you covered. Now is the right time to bring back Padres Social Hour as we await the start of the regular season. Friar Faithful, get ready to sit back, relax, and join the conversation. Now, coming to you from everyone's homes around San Diego and beyond, it's Padres Social Hour with your host, Jesse Agler.
1: Yeah, good evening. Welcome to Padres. Simple Hour. Thanks for being with us on this Wednesday evening. There is an awful lot to talk about when it comes to the 2020 baseball season. That in and of itself is a positive. And even some of the news feels like a little bit of a positive. Perhaps the most optimistic day we've had in weeks Uh, when it comes to the possibility of an agreement leading to the start of the 2020 season. So I'm very happy to be joined by Bob Scanlon and uh, Backyard Ben Higgins to break this thing down and uh, go through all of what we've been learning since this morning. Uh, We'll we'll dive into all the particulars. We'll dive into all of the details. It's not necessarily as good as we thought perhaps the news was going to be this morning, um, but it certainly, to me, Bob, still feels like a very positive day.
2: I would say so, Jesse. And the old saying, it's darkest before the dawn. And things seem pretty dark the last couple of days. But I I don't think I'm just speaking for myself. But I imagine the two of you as well never really thought that this thing was going to completely unravel. I think all along we've been fairly confident that there was going to be baseball at some point. We've, We've certainly had a nice ride on this roller coaster of ups and downs. But right now, what we're seeing is some positive news. We're seeing that ownership is understanding that the players are not going to back off their demand to have a full prorated amount of of their salaries. That seems to be – that's a given now. We can actually start figuring out how we're going to start orchestrating a schedule and trying to get some of these logistics taken care of. The one sticking point that I think is still out there at this point is the grievance. And I know that's one thing that the owners have said, look – We we we're here at the table wanting to get something together. But part of this deal is that you you players are going to have to give up your ability to file a grievance. And the grievance is basically, as I understand it, the players saying, look, in the original agreement that we had back in March, the ownership said that they were going to make a best effort to get as many games as they possibly could on the schedule. And I think that right now the players are not feeling like ownership is doing that. And I think that is the sticking point at this point. The owners have come off the 50 games. There's 60 games at this point. That is supposed to be an olive branch to say, look, we are making a best effort to try to get as many games in as possible. But I think that that is going to be the last thing that needs to sort of be negotiated at this point. Guys, how are you feeling about it? Ben, what's your your thought on where things are at at this point?
0: Well, I've always thought that whatever is going to be mutually beneficial for both sides is where they're going to eventually land. And you know, players want as many games as possible at their full prorated salary. They're going to make more money. They play more baseball. Owners, though, need concessions to expand the playoffs where they can make more money and, and possibly um, you know make that a two-year deal. So they can't get that done unless they come together and hash out an agreement. So it all comes down to the number of games. Uh, 60 still seems a, a little light based on what it seems like the players have been asking for. I wouldn't be shocked if they try to revise that upward just a little bit more, but it definitely seems like we're a lot closer to the deal than we were even a couple of days ago on
1: Monday when, when things looked really bleak. Yeah, when Rob Manfred got all sad-faced and said uh, he can no longer guarantee that there would be a season at all here in 2020, let's run through kind of uh, the day that has been. Uh, It began with a very, very encouraging uh, piece of information passed along from John Heyman on Twitter early in the morning, and he said that Rob Manfred and Tony Clark had what's being called a productive meeting face-to-face in Arizona. It was called at Manfred's request, meaning we find out later it took place yesterday, and it was like, oh, good, they're actually – Talking face to face. We haven't had a lot of that. Uh, Soon thereafter, John reported that uh, they are closing in on an agreement. Those are his words. Uh, The deal expected to be for prorated play, as both guys just mentioned, and do include expanded playoffs. So we said, okay, great. More good news. Uh, Closing in on an agreement certainly is, is pretty powerful, positive language. Then details of that proposal started to come out. Uh, you heard Ben mention sixty games. That's what Ken Rosenthal said uh, was included in the proposal: uh, ten off days in the season, with the year beginning for baseball either July 19 or 20, and expanded playoffs both this year and next year. Scans uh, very wisely mentioning that grievance situation that would be part of this proposal as well, uh, as per Ken Rosenthal earlier. Some of the on-field stuff then started to come out. This is what I call the fun stuff, uh, and uh, it would include. Uh, No surprise, I guess, to those of us who have been following this closely, a DH in the National League both this year and next. And, of course, a new collective bargaining agreement would take hold in 2022. Very hard to imagine any way, shape, or form uh, in which the DH went away in the NL after they put it in for two years. So we may already now be looking back at the era of no designated hitter in the National League. I know a lot of people have very strong opinions about that. Uh, And then uh, Rob Manford, the commissioner, released a statement this afternoon. Also, I think, um, you know, relevant and uh, important information kind of contained herein. At my request, Tony Clark and I met for several hours yesterday in Phoenix. We left that meeting with a jointly developed framework that we agreed could form the basis of an agreement and subject to conversations With our respective constituents, I summarized that framework numerous times in the meeting and sent Tony a written summary today. Consistent with our conversations yesterday, I'm encouraging the clubs to move forward. I trust Tony is doing the same. You can tell Rob, a a lawyer by trade, just even the way he writes that. Uh, But uh, nonetheless, again, it was kind of encouraging. It was sort of one of these things that you felt really good about all of it, and it seemed like, all right, everybody is starting to get closer and closer to the same page. However... That brings us back to John Heyman, who tweeted this just a few minutes ago. Early word, players don't love the 60 games, even calling it a proposal, not the agreement owners see it as. Apparently, according to John Heyman, owners view it as an agreed-to deal. And if the players turn it down, then the league could go back to mandating a season as short as 48 or 50 games. So perhaps not quite as rosy and positive as we thought. It could be more posturing. It could be more just trying to get something out of this thing at the last minute. That's what my gut tells me personally. I don't know why I'm optimistic anymore. I have no reason to be. Uh, But, uh, Ben, I think you hit the nail on the head. We've kind of been hearing 65, 66 as the more realistic number. There's a scheduling component to that. And as you said, the more games then the more money for the players.
0: Yeah, I think one thing the players can can always say it's a win. If they get full prorated salaries, that's what they've been asking for. They can go back and say, hey, we stuck together. We got what we were asking for. Um, If you increase the number of games, 66, there was uh, some talk about how mathematically that works out really well with a five team division. You can play your other four division rivals. Once each, home and road for three games. You can play the opposite divisions for the Padres. That would be the American League West. Four of the teams, once each, home and road. And then play your natural rival, in the Padres' case, the Mariners, once each, home and road. That would add up to 66 games. It seems like that would work out really well. Now, can they do it in time? If they speed things up and and move up the season to, like, July 17th and really – uh, hurry up the start and limit the off days. They could probably even get it done by that September 27th deadline when the original season was supposed to be over. So I think logistically it would be difficult but possible. And at this point, if you can make it as many games as possible, get those players you know, set up at spring training as quickly as you can right now, that looks like the best path forward in my perception.
2: Seems like the best path forward. I agree with you, Ben, and obviously those last few games are going to be, I think, the last leverage that the players have in terms of that grievance. Look, it's always been important to the Players Association that they have that legal option. They used it back in the 80s when there was collusion. They won in courts in 94-95. They won again in, in the ownership trying to declare that there was an impasse in negotiations and the Players Association was able to get a successful ruling in their favor saying, no, there's not an impasse. We have to keep working on this thing. So it, that's sort of the 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 safety net that the players association has always looked at there. And so for them to give up the ability to file a grievance and give up their legal rights at that point, they're going to have to make sure that everything is buttoned up. And I think the last piece of that puzzle is trying to get those last few games out, trying to get it up to 66, as close to 70 as possible. So it's sort of the nitty gritty details. There is st- a lot of posturing still going on at this point, but again, I think we can all be very optimistic. That this is going in the right direction and uh, more so than ever. I think we're looking at playing baseball, whether we can get it started, in july 15th remains to be seen maybe more closer to july 20th or something like that but uh clearly the framework is in place and maybe we'll see some double headers to try to get those few extra games in in the shortened period of time
1: yeah those are all things that seem very very workable when you consider the the hills and the mountains that have had to be climbed just to get to this point again absent from this conversation so far anything about health and safety we certainly don't mean to be overlooking that because it is a critical component here, but it also does seemingly appear to be one of these things that the sides are pretty close together on. There might be a little this and a little that, but I wouldn't expect that to be a particularly contentious. Um, look, we've, we've known all along it's going to be a weird year if they're able to play it. Ben mentioned how the scheduling will likely go. Padres would only play games against NL West and AL West teams. So, you know, it's a national league season in which you're not going to play the Cardinals or the Phillies and the nationals or the Mets or anything like that. Uh, but it is what it is. You know, they're just trying to make things work as much as possible. I'll go back to the DH thing uh, because I know it lights people's fires. And it also seems to me scans like the only thing we can say with any kind of like, whatever is close to certainty uh, is, is that, you know, for me, I, I think we've seen the end of the pitchers hitting in the national league. <laughs>
2: Are you trying to take the smile off my face, Jesse? I I came into this broadcast feeling so good about things. We're going to have baseball again. Let's keep it positive. And (laughs) you want to bring up something that just rips at my heart. Uh, I I have a really tough time with this. I know that it's been heading this direction for a long period of time. And I I think we're there. We're probably at the point where we've seen the last of of pitchers hitting. Uh, It's interesting, though, because whenever I do fan polls, whenever I do player polls, it almost – always in the majority says that they don't want to see the end of pitchers hitting they don't want to see both leagues have the dh so i find it interesting i'm curious to see how this plays out but the other thing that we may not see the end of is expanded playoffs if they're going to have it for the next two years i think that's going to generate a lot of revenue that's going to generate more interest in fans that's going to generate more interest in the players because more players have the opportunity to get to the postseason so i'm wondering not only with the VH showing up, will we see expanded playoffs moving forward as well? So it's an interesting time, and it's curious to see how many of these things that we're putting in right now as a sort of quick fix and let's try to get things going actually become permanent parts of the game moving forward.
0: Well, what have we always said, guys? Change does not come easily to baseball. Sometimes it takes remarkable circumstances for uh, things to even become different. Uh, it probably would be appropriate that the end of the designated hitter or the start of the designated hitter of the National League would have to come because of a global pandemic uh, that just totally impacted this 2020 season. It's not not that easy for baseball to kind of move into the future.
1: This kind of gives it the excuse to take that step. Yeah, the expanded playoffs thing will be very, very interesting. I think the proposal that we're hearing about now would include uh, eight teams per league uh, which is a lot more obviously than we have now not just you know one or two more teams that's gone full NBA NHL style uh, two leagues that play about half as many regular season games I'm, I'm curious and this is probably a conversation for another day maybe even another year uh when we do get back to something of a normal schedule how that might impact the length of the regular season if you can have that many teams in the postseason moving forward maybe it's an aberration maybe it's just this year and next uh but that's something to kind of uh, i guess keep in the backs of all of our minds uh it does lead to some great trivia though i mean i guess now uh the way i see it the last padre pitcher to hit a home run maybe ever Who knows? Something weird could happen in terms of, you know, extra innings and pinch hitting and all that sort of thing. You got to go back to April of 2018. Where else? Coors Field. Uh, Clayton Richard against John Gray in the fourth inning. An absolute bomb, by the way. Clayton just drops the bat. uh, Second deck over the board in right field at Coors. This is, I think, technically the last home run hit by a Padre pitcher. So that could be a wonderful, wonderful trivia question for years to come. I say technically, guys. Because remember last year, that game that Ian Kinsler pitched, he ended up hitting a home run in the bottom of the inning at Petco. So he was in the box score as a pitcher. But scans <laughs> for me, that doesn't count.
2: <laughs> that would be so bizarre, wouldn't it? If you actually had to go back and say, no, Ian Kinsler was actually the last pitcher to do it. That's just, that's so crazy. But in any case, I love that it would be Clayton Richard. He would be the guy that I would actually say was the last official true pitcher to hit a home run and it's appropriate because we all know what a great athlete clayton was and i love the fact that he's wearing number three on his back when he's doing it (laughs) he loved babe ruth he gets to wear number three babe ruth of course a pitcher that also hit a few home runs in his career as i recall um so very appropriate and look if it's got to be the last i love watching clayton take his time going around the bases right here (laughs)
0: And who knows what the future holds in a world where Shohei Otani exists, where the Padres have Jake Cronenworth on their team. Uh, you may still find, even with a designated hitter, that a guy starts the game in the field, ends up pitching, has to bat, hits a home run. Uh, it's not out of the question that we may still see that at some point in the future.
1: Yeah, no, it's certainly a possibility. As you mentioned, uh, you've got flexible guys, you've got weird games that happen, everything like that. But it it could be some years. Who knows? Maybe it'll be this summer because that's the way 2020 is going. But uh, it's uh, either way in the pre-DH era, that looks uh, like it might be it. Javi Guerra. Uh, looked great, by the way, pitching during spring training. He's a converted shortstop. So there's certainly options out there, and you don't want to take any opportunity away from these guys. But uh, it's certainly a new chapter moving forward. Um, Baseball trying to figure itself out. We'll see what happens. Basketball, as you may know, the NBA has put their plan together. Uh, They're going bubble boy mode in Orlando, Florida, where they're going to try and contain everybody best they can at the Walt Disney World Resorts. They're going to be playing games at three different arenas. Uh, Some more details about that coming out today. There was a really good ESPN.com story also, kind of breaking down all the what-ifs when it comes to this plan. And, of course, very easy to put down on paper, far more complex when you start putting it into reality. But you see some of the uh, things that the guys will have access to on the campus – Basically, it's like the coolest summer camp ever, I guess, um, you know, at these hotels that they're staying at. Uh, ben, I'm sure for for your show in the morning on 97.3 with uh, Steve Woods, you guys are following this very, very closely. Does this seem to be the simplest of the sports in terms of what they're all trying to do? I, I don't know if
0: anything is simple at this point. I, I think it helps that they were able to limit the number of teams uh, down to 22 from uh, the original number in the season. But Nothing simple about a plan that includes rules on how many guys can play ping-pong, rules about disposing playing cards after you've sat around uh, playing with your teammates and wearing masks, uh, where hotel assignments are determined by seeds of the teams. You know, the top four seeds get the, the real luxury hotel and then a little step down for the, the five through eight seeds. And then those teams trying to make it into the playoffs, they have to be at the like the third level hotel or something like that. That's a very complicated plan. And we'll see if the NBA is able to pull it off. I,
2: I love the fact that the NBA, too, and Michael Jordan apparently had some influence on this. They're trying to make their playoffs not too gimmicky. They had the opportunity to try to turn it into this round ramen and do all this other kind of weird stuff with it. And they said, no, 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 let's try to keep it as traditional as possible. There's enough chaos in the world. There's enough nothing certainly. Let's try to bring the fans something that they know they can depend on, they're comfortable with. So I like that i like that they took a little bit more of a traditional approach on that the question i have though actually is is ben for you you, ben and woods you guys have manicurists and concierge and all that kind of service on your show right i mean you guys are live large over there
0: aren't you Well, woods obviously has his own personal manicurist and hair team and stylist (laughs) i i have to do all my own nails and hair bob you know that but you're the you're the perfect hair guy so i don't know what you're asking me for
2: no because I, i know how how Big, you guys are. I just wanted to make sure that you know you're being taken care of properly over there. So uh, not a hair out of place, go-chi.
0: even in a pandemic. Not a hair out of place up there, Bob. <laughs> I see that.
1: It's unbelievable. It really is. Uh, Scans, as an athlete, you know, you hear some of these rules, and there's the on field stuff about spitting and high fives. Uh, But then the off field stuff, particularly when it comes to these, you know, bubble environments that the NBA and the NHL are trying to create, you're even starting to hear a lot of grumbling coming from NFL circles about how realistic a lot of this stuff might be once you get into a training camp type situation. Uh, It seems to me there's a lot of this stuff that is going to be near impossible to enforce.
2: Uh, No question about it, Jesse. And it's all with good intention, right? I mean, we are looking out for the player's best interest. The players know that that is why, um, you know, people in authority, people with medical background and knowledge are trying to, to put some of these things in place. But that being said, we're talking about, you know, 20 to 28 year old young men who are feeling their oats. They are type A personalities. They are wanting to live life and enjoy life. And we're seeing it. I mean, just on the streets of PB out here where, you know, there's supposed to be social distancing going on and and you go by and and everyone's right next to each other. There's no masks. that people want to enjoy themselves, especially young people. So I think it's going to be very difficult to enforce some of these things. Um, Hopefully they're not foolish about it, but I think you you put some pretty stringent rules in place and you keep your fingers crossed that they come close to (laughs) to listening to some of them, but it brings up a great point because there are going to people that are still going to get the virus. It's going to infiltrate some way, somehow. And I think that then the question becomes, what sort of rules do you have in place in terms of how do you handle that? How much is too much in terms of threatening the game being able to go on further? I don't know, Ben, if you've heard anything about some of those rules that have been put in place or proposals. But I, I think it's not a question of if it's a question of when there start to be some leaks.
0: Well, I agree with you, Bob. I mean, part of this is you establish these rules and you know, not everyone's going to be perfect all the time, but if we can strive toward our very best, uh, that's what's important. You're not going to throw Fernando Tatis Jr. out of the game if he accidentally high fives Glenn Hoffman rounding third after a home run. Would you prefer that they don't do that? Of course. And you know, Players will be reminded, Um, you know, I'm sure that that's going to be an ongoing process, but uh, let's be as as good as we can be. Let's set good examples as well. While, you know, players are outside and and hopefully will be mostly safe while they're playing these games, um, they're also setting an example for everybody else in the country and the better example they set while they're on television, well, uh, the the better we can all do out here. So, uh, you know, baseball wants to take this position of being a leader and helping us get through the pandemic. That's one great way that they can do it.
1: Yeah. And uh, even beyond all of that, uh, you know, social media and just, you know, imagine a guy putting a picture on his Instagram story, walking around, headed to the restaurant, wearing the mask. That can go a long way uh, in influencing people in a very positive way. That ESPN story I mentioned about the, the NBA play in particular – uh, it was kind of a and a format. One of them was, what happens when somebody tests positive? Because as Bob said, I think everybody knows that that's going to happen at some point. And basically said, well, first they'll retest them to make sure it's not you know, a false positive. Then that person will be isolated. They'll do contract, contact tracing. All the things we've heard so much about lately, um, but it wouldn't necessarily shut down or stop that team from participating. You know, They'll test everybody's come in contact with, all that sort of thing. Uh, but then you know, two questions later it was, how bad would things have to get to shut it down? And there is no answer to that question yet. It seems like the NBA at least, and we don't know the particulars of the idea uh, that baseball is putting down on paper, but the idea is basically we'll, we'll figure it out if and when we get there. Uh, And obviously, nobody wants that to happen. But, you know, there's nothing on paper in terms of the NBA plan that says, all right, if X number of guys test positive, then we're going to shut the whole thing down. Ben, I think, look, the thing we've learned more than anything else, perhaps these last several months is we all got to be ready to adjust. uh, And that will be very much the case with all these uh, plans for sport. Yeah,
0: the more testing, the better. All these plans, baseballs, basketballs include a lot of testing, you know, on a multi-weekly basis. And that way, if someone does test positive, you can test all their teammates every day. And if they test negative, then you you take the one teammate out from the equation for a while, quarantine, um, get them back in two weeks. Now, what happens if it spreads quickly among an entire clubhouse and they, a lot of people test positive, then you really would have an issue because if a team loses, you know, eight to 10 guys to the virus for two weeks, they're no longer really a viable team to move forward. So it's gonna be really important To act as quickly, identify anyone who has the virus as quickly as possible, try to remove them from the equation as quickly as possible, and hope that the rest of the team is not impacted because then you really might get an untenable
1: situation. Yeah, that's what everybody wants to avoid. Sorry, Scans.
2: No, I was agreeing with Ben. And the other thing to keep in mind, not to get too much into the weeds of the legality of it, but as you may recall, one of the last proposals that the players made to the owners included a provision that said, look, there are going to be certain players who actually have a medical reason to not play and to to take care of themselves. There'll be other players who don't have a medical concern that are going to choose not to play. If that's the case, then they're forfeiting their salary and their service time. So. I'm just curious what would happen if, like, as a player, you say, I don't have a legitimate concern, you start to play, but then, to your point, all of a sudden, you've got six or eight guys in your clubhouse. Does that change that element all of a sudden, where a guy says, look, I wasn't a high-risk guy before, and it wasn't an issue, but now that our clubhouse is infiltrated with it, I think this changes the scenario a little bit, does it? So I'm just curious to see how much they're able to button down some of the language in terms of which guys continue to be able to play, which guys maybe get excused from playing and don't get penalized for it. There's subtle nuances, but they're the types of things as we're talking about a deal being put in place that are going to have to be discussed and hammered out.
1: It is extraordinarily complicated. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. I think that's uh, the main takeaway. All right, before we move on, a couple of questions kind of popped up about the different things we've been discussing. So just want to buzz through these really quickly here. Uh, Gabe said the DH is optional, right? It is technically uh, in the rule book, So uh, it's more that the DH will be available to the National League clubs, not that they will be forced to use it. Um, So, sure, you could have an instance in which, uh, you know, the Madison Bumgarners of the world insist on being in the lineup. and, And we did see that happen a couple of years ago in a game between the Giants and the A's. Uh, This is a really good question, also from Salty, nice name, uh, about how many guys are going to be on the active roster. We've heard different things in the different proposals and the different leaks uh, in the last few weeks. We don't know in this latest one, at least nothing I've seen that gives that answer. Remember, it was always going to be 26 guys in a normal season this year, up from one uh, from what we've seen the last however many years in baseball. Um, Obviously, I would guess it'll be more than that, particularly at the beginning. Uh, The other thing that we've learned about is that, you know, likely without a minor league season teams will be able to have a taxi squad is I think what they're going to call it could be I don't know another 20 guys another 30 guys I'm not sure we'll wait and see we're going to sort of be at the ready um, and perhaps they'll be based in Peoria I don't know and uh, just kind of uh, be able to, to dip into that when you'll need to because Bob at some point you'll have to
2: No question. You're going to you're going to need to do that. The last numbers I heard and Ben, maybe you've heard something different. I think the roster was supposed to be expanded to 30 active players with a taxi squad of about 60 guys. And I still wonder if that's going to be enough when you start talking about the number of pitchers that you're going to go through guys that are going to be getting injured because of a shortened spring training, um, you know, and you don't have time to recover. So it's like, look, If you get hurt in a a shortened season, I don't have five or six days to sit around for you to get back and be healthy. I'm going to take you and put you on the DL right away because every game is going to be exponentially more important now. So I'm curious to see if those rosters are going to be deep enough. And number two, I think it's going to be interesting to see how general managers choose to fill those those 60 spots. Are they going to go for maybe the guy that's more versatile so that they have – you know, in essence, I got three short stops now that I can go to. I got five short stops and two second basemen as opposed to an impact guy that can only play one position. So I'm sure it's going to be interesting to see how all those decisions are being made.
0: I think I think 60 should be enough over the course, of, especially of a short season. I mean, over a 162 game season, a team that uses, you know, 55 to 60 players, that's that's a lot even for a 162-game season. If I remember correctly, the last proposal that was put out kind of staggered it, and then we're going to start the season with 30-man rosters active, and then after two weeks, it would go down to 28, and then after two more weeks, it would go down to 26, but they were going to maintain that taxi squad of up to 60 guys. I think I also saw that the taxi squad had to be within like 100 miles of your home base, so uh, maybe not Peoria, maybe Lake Elsinore or... Uh, Use one of the college campuses in San Diego as a home base uh, for the taxi squad for the Padres could be an option. But uh, obviously, Jesse, none of that's been settled yet. And we don't even know what was in today's proposal uh, from owners about the 60 game season about rosters. Yeah,
1: exactly. So we'll wait and see on all of that, but certainly good questions and uh, stuff we try to answer to the best of our abilities. As you can tell, a lot of numbers have uh, been flying around. Uh, we talked about playoff expansion that appears to be coming uh, in this deal if they're able to work things out. Uh, we did add an extra wild card game a, a few years ago at this point or an extra wild card team. Excuse me. So that was playoff expansion. But the last like major playoff expansion uh, that took place in baseball uh, was for the 1995 season. And it was actually on this date, June 17th in 1993. Uh, that they agreed to add a wild card for the first time and to break things up into the three divisions as opposed to the East and the West, which had existed since 1969. Um, you know, it's it's funny, guys, because we're talking about the DH and we're talking about playoff expansion. And I remember very, very well in 1993 and 4 and 5, in addition to the strike, of course, there were people uh, who were really up in arms and and angry and upset about a wild card coming in baseball and how you're devaluing the postseason. Um, And then, I don't know, however many years later, not many, Bob, we all got to the point, I think most of us at least, where we couldn't have lived without the wild card anymore.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting how that evolved. And I think the big concern, as I recall, from a player's perspective, was not so much bringing one in as that it was that Pandora's box, that slippery slope of, okay, we bring one wild card team in, then how long before a second one and then a third one, how long before a major league baseball devolves into the NHL or some of these other leagues where you basically just don't come in last place in your division. And it, it de-emphasizes the importance of the regular season. So I think that was sort of the the larger concern, but of course, as you said, Jesse, since that's been incorporated, we, we love having more teams be involved. We love seeing more revenue for the game. We love seeing more fan bases and, and players having something to cheer about. So, I don't know, Bendy. Are you happy if this extended playoffs uh, carries carries on indefinitely, or where, where would be the limit for you?
0: Well, not not eight teams per league. I mean, that's that's sixteen teams in the playoffs out of thirty. That's more than half of the teams. Um, mm-hmm. That's more of an NCAA tournament scenario where hey, you get a winning record or close to it, and then get to the playoffs and take your chances. I think the you know right now where they're at at five, maybe six overall teams. You know, makes some sense to me. Eight for this shortened season. Um, Yeah, there's a there's a bit of a random chance element to this whole 2020 year. So I don't have a problem with giving more teams an opportunity. It sounds like fun. Do something a little different. But I I really hope that the the 16 team postseason in baseball isn't permanent because um, we don't really need to see 78
1: win teams regularly making the postseason. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Apropos of nothing, by the way, that 95 postseason was pretty extraordinary. Uh, the the one I think probably most people remember is the the Yankees, who are the wildcard Mariners series, uh, the walk off in 95. Don Mattingly finally makes it to the postseason uh, and has his heart broken. Just a, a classic. Yeah, the Rockies and the Giants duking it out. The Braves, of course, will go on to win what would be their only World Series in that great run. Of winning division titles, both in the West and the East in the National League, and uh, it was it was a great postseason. It really, really was in 1995 as they added that extra team. Uh, on this date, meanwhile, sticking with the early 90s motif, there's Don Mattingly. Uh, this date, 1994, like a lot of people, I was watching the Knicks and the Rockets in the NBA Finals, uh, and then all of a sudden, there was a white Ford Bronco being chased around the freeways of Los Angeles. Uh, Guys, it was really, truly one of the most surreal things I think any of us have ever experienced, Uh, the O.J. Simpson uh, Bronco chase. Bob, you were an athlete. I'd be fascinated to hear what this was all like for you, but uh, I'll start with Ben. What do you remember about that night in 1994? Uh, I remember I was home from college
0: for summer, sitting in my parents' living room. We were all watching basketball. This came on. um, You know, my parents... Uh, my mom was born in LA, right in Brentwood on uh, Rockingham actually is where their, her mom lives. So right where OJ's house was. So we were just transfixed uh, by just everything that was going on. And I just remember the tension of it all, not knowing how it was going to end. And it just seemed to drag on forever. I think they, they drove about 60 miles uh, through the LA freeways and streets before kind of ending in that standoff and just wondered, is this, is this going to be it? Is this how it ends? And um, it really was one of the more dramatic live news events of my lifetime, and it re- remains it remains so to this very day.
2: Yeah, that was crazy. I mean, 95 million people were estimated to be watching that. That's more than sits down and watch the Super Bowl uh, on, a, on a given Sunday. I mean, this, this actually stopped the entire nation. And I remember we were wondering, are, are we going to have batting practice today? <laughs> we're sitting there watching this going on. It's like, we need to get to the field. We need to start working out. We need to... Start doing stuff, but everybody was just transfixed on what was going on here. And the other thing that I remember players saying is, "Gosh, this." First of all, it was just tragic to see an icon that so many of us grew up idolizing, both as a football player and then later on as as the the, the Hertz. Uh, rent-a-car representative, and, of course, the movies that he starred and seeing O.J. go through this. But the thing that also stood out to us is Al Cowlings, his friend, driving that car, and so many of us kind of saying to ourselves, man, I wish I had a friend like Al Cowlings that had my back, like this guy has O.J.'s back. So there were just so many different elements that that I remember going through our clubhouse watching this, this unfold, and um, something that anybody witnessed it certainly will never forget.
1: This is maybe an old person thing to say, but it's really one of those that, like, if you weren't old enough – to, to witness this and to kind of go through it, there's no way to perfectly explain to you just how bizarre and kind of uh, captivating it was as Ben alluded to. It was like everything else just stopped. It was pre-social media, uh, but nonetheless, it was one of those things that like everybody knew about. And it was a bizarre couple of years really uh, that kicked off, I suppose, in earnest that night. And again, you've got the NBA finals, not the playoffs, the finals between the Rockets and the Knicks. You got the number one media market going and NBC Right, Ben? Did they go picture and picture split screen? I mean, they yeah. broke into coverage of this game.
0: Yeah, it was split screen definitely for a while. Um, and, you know, every other network obviously was completely on the Bronco chase. Uh, I think we were trying to watch the game as well. But um, yeah, you're right. The the next two years, I, I remember just following the trial. we had never seen a, a televised trial like that that had the entire country riveted with every Decision by Judge Ito and you knew the prosecutor's name, Marsha Clark and Christopher Darden and the entire dream team defense with uh, Robert Kardashian and Johnny Cochran and, uh, you know, Bob Shapiro. It was uh, they were like they were like global superstars during this entire
1: like two year run. F. Lee Bailey. You're right. You can still rattle off all the names, which is uh, kind of absurd when you think about it. But it was one of those where were you moments. And uh, that was it. June uh, 17th of 1994, the Bronco chase. All right. Uh, From one. Kind of strange that that would fit in in 2020. By the way, that's the exact kind of thing that would uh, fit in here in uh, in this year. One of the things we've been doing in 2020 with no MLB is following KBO, uh, Korea Baseball Organization. Our KBO sadness report is very happy today. Our uh, KT Wiz had the second consecutive extra inning win over SK Wyverns last night, six to four. Tied it in the ninth, won it in the tenth. Bullpen tried to blow it a couple of times, uh, but all happiness uh, for the Wiz. We have won two consecutive. Uh, the Key Womb Heroes also won last night. I enjoyed this one, guys. Uh, Scans, I would love your take on this. This is going to be a walk-off, I think double technically. Um, just check out my man here in terms of the celebration, the hitter, right? He, all right, that's going to win the game. It's going to be a walk-off. You expect to see the teammates running out onto the field, dousing him with water uh, and everything like that. No fans in the stands, perhaps a little bit different, but this is how he walks off.
2: This was so weird. I'm like, where are his teammates? Where is the mob scene? Where is what? What's going on? There is no nothing, no energy. He just kind of walks off, by, almost like he made the final out of the inning. If you didn't know any better, this is so bizarre. And I hope that we don't see things like this when Major League Baseball resumes. I hope that there's some way, somehow, that we can still have the excitement, the team concept, the guys, you know, like celebrating, and because that's really what you play for—those big moments to win the game. So. Somehow, some way, I hope that they can do it without being uh, totally negligent of the social distancing that's supposed to be going on. Ben, have you ever seen anything like this a walk off where <laughs> there's no emotion whatsoever?
0: Um, it's very bizarre. I was actually looking up what a wyvern was. Um, I guess it's a it's a dragon of some sort. Yeah. I, I wasn't sure. So, kind of did some Googling while you guys were talking.
2: <laughs> yeah, it uh, yeah that was my understanding
1: guys. also. was a dragon. Yeah, the, the rest of were... don't have to- Go ahead, I'm no, just
2: saying that, that, that just the pitcher at least doesn't have to go through the agony of watching the other team <laughs> celebrate right there. That's the only positive I can look at. You see the pitcher walking off, going, "Ah, eh, it's a walk off. It's a loss. At least it's not uh, more salt in the wound." I guess. Did you
0: give up any walk offs in your career, Bob? Oh, plenty. Yeah
2: <laughs> it's it's the it's the worst feeling in the world. You know, you've just let your entire team down. And you just, it's, I, I'm, I'm actually getting sad thinking about it right now. I'm having a visceral reaction. I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> get that out of my mind. Get that out of my mind. No, happy thoughts. Happy thoughts.
1: Yeah, It's, it's a team game, but sometimes it really doesn't feel yeah. like, and.
2: Uh, oh, oh, you're the goat. And that's not the greatest of all time. You are, you're the goat.
1: You're, yes. you're the, you're the guy that lost it for your We're team. The horn. Bad guy. Yeah. The mad goat. Um, it'll be interesting. I mean, we, we've talked about this a couple of times, you know, you had that, that Oriole game. Uh, in Baltimore five years ago without fans and all the players involved, it seems like said how just tough it was to be normal in terms of on the field guys, especially uh, I think they playing the White Sox. Jeff Samarja got lit up early starting for the White Sox. And so it kind of turned into a little bit of a blowout situation. And you go back and you hear what these guys had to say. And between the score and the circumstance it, it didn't hit farcical levels necessarily, but it didn't necessarily either kind of maintain the standard of what a normal major league game is, Ben. It, it'll be different, I think, this time because it'll be the normal. It'll be every game. It'll be everybody. But I, I certainly would expect there to be some adjustment period for the players.
0: Yeah, I do think after a game or two, um, it's you know, just become second nature. And this is just what baseball is right now. I, I was watching the golf tournament over the weekend, and you know, I, after a little while, I, I really stopped noticing that there wasn't spectators and grandstands and galleries. I was just kind of focused on the game, and I think for the most part, we'll probably be doing the same. Once the game is on, you just start focusing on the players and uh, the spectacular plays they're making, and it won't seem quite as, as strange after a week or so that there's no fans in the stands.
2: I agree. I think we'll all get used to it, but I'm not going to lie, guys. There were times where I used the fans and the energy of the ballpark to sort of get me locked back in, and I, and I think it's going to be a little bit easier for these guys because they know what to expect. You know, they, They're anticipating it, and they know they're going to have to stay focused, but I'm not going to lie. Over the course of a, a you know a season in, in, the, in the ninth inning, uh, it's a long game. It's easy to get distracted. There are times where, as a player, you feed on that energy. You look there, and you're, you're like, you know what? These people came and paid good money to watch me play today and even though we're getting our tails kicked right now i still have an obligation to give 100 to give them the best show that i possibly can um or there's times where your arm is just killing you and you just the phone rings and you're trying to get your arm loose and, and you're barking and, and at the same time you, you you feel that energy in the crowd it's like you know what these people want to win this ball game my teammates want to win this ball game i don't care that i can't feel my arm right now I'm going to use this energy and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to get the job done for for my for my teammates and for all these people and hear that roar. And when we get that final out, so it'll be interesting to see what guys use as a motivation to dig down deep at times when you when you need that little extra. You're not going to be able to get it from the fans. So it's going to have to come from inside.
1: Yeah, uh, just a new challenge, game of adjustments. And that'll be yet another one that the players have to make. Uh, Premier League soccer returned today in England. Uh, I think it was Aston Villa, Sheffield United, obviously without fans. Uh, I watched a couple of minutes of a couple of things stood out just about all of that. One, you know, they had tarped over a lot of the seats and you could put ads and team logos. We've seen that in Korea as well with the KBO. So I would expect to see plenty of that. It just makes it look a little less empty. Uh, and also for the NBC telecast, they piped in uh, crowd noise, which I think was from the video game, from the FIFA video game. Uh, which obviously has a soundtrack. Um, so, you know, we've heard that as a possibility coming forward. I didn't find it offensive. I watched for five, 10 minutes, whatever it was. Um, but it's weird. It's different. That'll be another thing, uh, Scans, we got to get used to.
2: No doubt about it. And actually, I have a little bit of experience of what you're talking about there, Jesse, because when we played it against the Marlins when they first opened, and even Pittsburgh, there were big chunks of the stadium that they knew they weren't going to fill, so they just put giant tarps over them, so... Players have a little bit of experience doing that. Not so much in this day, but uh, back in my day, we saw that more more often. But yeah, I think we'll all get used to it. And I think what's going to be interesting also, and this has been part of the negotiations as well, is having more player participation during the game, during the broadcast. And I think that could be fun because I think we all like to hear what the players have to say, what the emotion is, what's going on, the banter that goes on back and forth. So there might be a less authentic crowd noise that we hear, but we may get more authentic Input from the players and the coaches during the course of the game, which could be a, a fun addition that might stick around also, along with the DH and expanded playoffs.
0: I don't know that soccer is a great example though. In soccer, you have kind of a rise and fall, and a, there's a general kind of buzz always. And as the ball gets a little closer to the net, the the sound kind of goes up, and there's a shot, and it kind of goes up and down. baseball's a little choppier when it comes to the sounds of the game. It can be very quiet. Uh, You know, nothing's happening all, you know, it's just another pitch, another pitch, and all of a sudden a home run is hit and the place can go berserk in in a moment's notice. Uh, Rallies, you know, guys on, the sound is different in the ballpark when the bases are loaded or when there's just a guy on first or there's two outs versus zero outs. For a real experienced baseball fan, you're going to have to get those sounds right if you're going to pump them in and fake it because otherwise I think it'll be a, a real distraction and actually make the experience of watching it worse rather than better yeah I, I'm Jesse, I know you're a
2: you're a historian and i know that you know this but ronald reagan back when he was doing baseball broadcasts, they used to have the fake pieces of wood and they'd <laughs> clap the wood on a base hit and they'd have the fake crowd noise so it can be done they've been doing it for generations i don't know if you've, you've ever had to resort to that during uh, any high school or college games that you were Doing early in your broadcast career, Jesse?
1: You know, I never had to do a recreation. I, I did a lot of like, you know, play the, the video game and let the computer play against itself, you know, as a kid and sit there with the recorder and do it. Uh, but I didn't add my own sound effects or anything like that. So you're right. I mean, it has been done. It is doable. That's another one of those. I'll put it in the bucket of like, not necessarily easier said than done. But more complicated than probably most people realize and are making it, as Ben said, that audio engineer is going to have to work his tail off or her uh, to, to try and make it sound something realistic uh, if, in fact, they're going to do that. All right. Uh, changing gears here a little bit. Uh, if, The event Padres Pedal the Cause has really taken off the last few years. A bike ride that's normally in November this year, I believe it's being pushed back into uh, early 2021, uh, raising money for cancer research here in San Diego, uh, along with UCSD and and a host of other great organizations. And it has been a huge Huge success. This Saturday is World Without Cancer Day. So, in coordination with all of that, uh, have kind of a mini event going on that you can do from the comfort of your own home or or backyard or uh, the trail by your house, whatever it may be. Uh, And to talk a little bit about that, we have a very special guest uh, who I was able to visit with earlier today. Her name is Kelly Sullivan. uh, And she last year at Pedal the Cause was one of the big spin instructors uh, who was leading that class. Uh, And she has a very, very interesting and deep story and connection now to this event. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for joining us. Obviously, a lot to talk about. World Cancer Day coming up on Saturday and some wonderful things taking place with Padres Pedal the Cause in coordination with that. I want to start with you, though. Um, We saw you last November at Petco Park leading uh, three spin classes, just working your butt off, uh, getting everybody ready to go, raising some great money as part of Padres Pedal the Cause Uh, It's less than a year ago at this point, but I mean, I I understand from looking into your story and talking to some folks, a a lot has changed for you in just that period of time since then. Give us a little bit of a a rundown of what's happening in your world.
3: Well, um, right before last year's event, in fact, the night before, and I know I mentioned this in the video as we were promoting World Without Cancer Day, I was standing on the field with my wife and my son, um, and we were doing some prep work for the next day's event. And I remember standing there and, and I've got chill bumps as I'm, as I'm thinking about this, um, literally looking up at the sky and, and asking the universe for a why, surrounding why I was a part of Pedal the Cause. It was my second year being involved. Um, to date, I've taught five spin classes and I had a disconnected why from people um, that are my clients, from friends and clients that have lost someone or have someone dealing with with cancer. And I had dedicated rights to those people, but I wanted something that I was really connected to. Um, And I remember asking the universe, you know, give me a why. I need something. I need something bigger that gives me purpose behind my involvement with this organization. Uh, So literally (laughs) I got a why in the biggest way. Earlier this year on January 10th, I was diagnosed with invasive ductal carcinoma, breast cancer. Um, Started off as stage one, turned into stage two uh, post-surgery. And that has obviously become my why um, behind my involvement with pedicle, Pedal. And I remember Isis and I were standing, that's my wife's name, in the bedroom. We received a phone call from my doctor um, letting me know the news. And shortly after we got off the phone, I looked at her and I said, I, I have my why. I have my purpose. I have my reason for doing what I do. And that accelerates to where we're at today. And we've got some big things planned. And I have so much more meaning behind what I'm doing with Pedal the Cause, um, not just next spring's event, because we're pushing the event till spring, but also what we have coming up this coming weekend. So uh, new purpose, new why, new vision, all the things.
1: Your, uh, your energy, your charisma, your spirit, I, I could probably use a few more words there. Obviously off the charts, uh, as we say in sports, how are you doing?
3: I'm, I'm good. Today's a good day. Yesterday was a good day. We take things day by day as so many are in the midst of COVID. Um, very similar to what, uh, cancer patients are dealing with quarantining, um, wearing masks. Those are all the things that I would be doing regardless of COVID. Uh, we're doing it that much more due to COVID. Um, but I've gone through seven rounds of chemo. Uh, the first four rounds were extremely hard to the point where I on round three wanted to quit and I'm not a quitter. <laughs> Definitely not a quitter. Um, now we're on a different drug. These last four rounds, um, thought it would be a lot easier, but it's still really tough. I'm dealing with with neuropathy. My feet are are numb at this point, so really struggling there. And I've had some really really tough days over the last weekend after my infusion. So day by day, but every day, I am grateful that we caught this. Had we not caught this, and we had gone through COVID, I am absolutely certain that I would have been at a more advanced stage. Than I, than I was when we caught it. So grateful for that.
1: Well, thank you for sharing so much of your story with us. Um, as mentioned, Saturday, World Without Cancer Day uh, in coordination with Padres Pedal the Cause. I want to make sure I got it right. Do 20, give 20. Tell us what that means. That's
3: it. Do 20, give 20. So we've got a couple different options. Well, many options. Um, what we're asking everyone to do is to do a little something to give back. As you know, cancer does not stop in the midst of a worldwide pandemic. And I've given them, obviously with my whole new purpose, I've been given another purpose and I had the idea to teach a uh, spin class and I contacted the team at pedal the cause. And I said, what can we do? And how can we do this? And they, Told me they're doing a world without cancer day. So we combine the two ideas and we've come up with a concept called do 20, give 20. What does that mean? That means all you need to do is 20 minutes of some form of movement. Jesse, it can be something as simple as walking down the street for 20 minutes, it can be 20 push ups. We have a crew that's doing uh, 20 repeats over at Torrey Pines. I've decided, as you said, I have a lot of charisma and energy. So I've decided to go above and beyond the do 20, give 20, and I'm asking people to do 40 and give $20 or more towards Pedal the Cause. And what that means is this, um, the Padres have been so gracious in inviting me into their stadium to teach a 40 minute cycling ride. It's a stationary bike and anybody that has a bike can participate. Anybody that doesn't have a bike, heck, you can have a dance party to my ride. I'm totally fine with that. We just want you to do something big and give back to the cause that is Pedal the Cause. We're really excited about it. So that's the concept. So, jump in and join me.
1: Is it okay if we do more than 20? Are you all right with that?
3: I will hold you at 20. No, no, no. You can absolutely do as much as you want. I'm doing 40. You can do 60. You can do whatever you want. It's, it's all for a great cause.
1: Uh love it. So that's coming up on Saturday, June 20, Give 20. You can check out uh, gopedal.org for some more information. Uh This event really in its current state, I guess, goes back to 2013, over $13 million raised uh for cancer research. And, and the wonderful thing about Pedal the Cause, and this goes along with everything, of course, Uh as you've been involved now for a couple of years, every single dollar goes to cancer research. Every single dollar stays home here in San Diego, right?
3: Absolutely. And we're really excited. I know they're going to be announcing, I believe, some grants coming up this spring, um, two grants they'll be funding, some clinical trials in the fall. I was actually able to be a part of a clinical trial that was funded by the by the money that we raised through Pedal Cause. So that was pretty exciting, too. So doing big things, be a part of this. It's We want to see a world without cancer come to fruition.
1: And that is Saturday, six twenty. Uh, give me 20, get 20, 40, 60, 80, 100, like you said. I'll give you uh, 20 push-ups from Don Orsillo, our TV announcer. I'll, I'll volunteer him for that, uh, that he can give us on the show tomorrow or Friday. Uh, GoPedal.org, Saturday, World Without Cancer Day. Kelly, thank you so much uh, for everything you've done in this event the last couple of years, everything you're doing now, and um, all the very best to, to you and your family. And, and I hope there are many good days ahead.
3: Thanks so much, Jesse. So nice to meet you. I appreciate the time.
1: That's Kelly Sullivan, uh, quite a story, uh, quite a story. And as uh, I, I know far too many of us know, these things, the other things haven't stopped uh, from a medical standpoint or even during these uh, COVID-19 days. Uh, bring back Ben and Bob after that one. And a reminder, everybody can get involved. You get that uh, 20 push-ups, whatever you got. I volunteered Orsillo, which is a little nasty, uh, but we've had him do push-ups a couple of times on the show. So it, it felt consistent at least. Uh, but please do check out sdpedal.org uh, or gopedal.org, excuse me, gopedal.org uh, for all the information.
0: I've been Pelotoning every day during the the pandemic, so maybe I'm finally ready to to jump in and do this for the first time in my life.
2: You know what, Jesse? I love that you volunteered Don also. I think it would be even better is if he did him with Mark Grant sitting on his back. That would be really impressive.
1: <laughs> not sure that could happen. I don't know. I'm not a physics uh, major or anything like that, but I don't know uh, strength and weight and uh, that kind of thing. Uh, while uh, while we were hearing from Kelly, by the way, I, I saw a tweet from Trevor Plouffe, uh, who's been putting a lot of information about these uh, negotiations out there. Uh, he's very well plugged in, former twin Uh, And he passes along that in the latest proposal, uh, the owners are going to be able to sell uniform ads uh, for 2020 and 2021. Uh, That's another one of those things that you say it's for two years, but you'd have a very hard time imagining it going away after this. Um, I'm a purist with a lot of things. Uniform geek. This would certainly make me itch a little bit, guys. But I think as we all know... Money is big right now. Money's a big deal right now. A lot of money is being lost right now. And uh, so another kind of interesting twist to this whole thing, I guess, Scans.
2: (laughs) Interesting twist, but not the first time that we've seen it. I remember that that was presented. uh, It's been presented before by ownership of the players and the players have always shut that down and I think one of the things that as players, we looked at it, we, we played winter ball and we've seen some of the uniforms and what happens to them. You, you start looking like a NASCAR <laughs> vehicle where you've got advertisements all over your body. Um, so I, I understand why the players would uh, sort of try to, to back off on that one for now. Ben, would you, would you feel strange seeing those type of advertisements on the, on the uniforms of players?
0: Well, I think um, I think there's a way to do it kind of tasteful. Obviously we've gotten used to it in other sports. Um, my question is, if there is additional revenue, how are they using that? If they're investing it into getting more young fans in the game, maybe you know more family affordable ticket packages, getting kids in the ballpark more often, then I'm all for it. I mean, what you know, what's it going to bother me if there's a little patch that uh, says a company's name? If you know, if that's the way that they want to uh, grow the game, use that money, then then great. If it's uh, you know simply a way for you know owners to to make more money and hand out more Christmas bonuses to, you know, the top executives, then I'm not as big of a fan of it. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. But that, uh, that feels like another one of these things uh, that's coming out. Uh, all right. We mentioned uh world without cancer day on Saturday. That's a, a great event. You can be involved in another great event. That's going on right now uh, and concludes tomorrow at Peco park is the Padres summer blood drive. Uh, go to San for all the information. You got to sign up for an appointment. Um, obviously uh, with everything, the way it is these days, not normal, uh, in terms of giving blood, still very, very important, arguably more important than ever. Uh, but you need to have an appointment so that we can do social distancing, a lot of great information on the website, uh, about the safety precautions that are being taken. And, uh, you certainly want to, uh, check that out if you can tomorrow, the last opportunity, uh, to help out and uh, do work right there. So hopefully everybody can get on out there. We've done
0: such a good job in San Diego of making blood drives really fun for so many years. It's we got to remember that even now, when we can't, you know, go and see live bands and have free food and everything, it's still really important to get out there and donate blood if you're healthy and you can do that. Uh, probably now more than ever, and we'll we'll get the uh, the big giant event blood drives back hopefully in these next couple of years.
2: Look, if saving a life isn't motivation enough for you, don't forget that you get, get great cookies afterwards. Whether you like Oreos or Chips Ahoy, they've got all kinds of great sweets after you donate. So uh, if that's a motivating factor, whatever it takes, uh, it's important, no doubt about it.
1: Padres Classic coming up tonight at 7 o'clock on Fox Sports San Diego. Go back to last year. The Canadian crusher, uh, Josh Naylor, goes home along with Cal Quantrill to Toronto. And the Padres put an absolute beating On the Blue Jays at Rogers Center, Uh, Cal Quantra will get his first major league win back in Ontario, which is pretty remarkable. Padres went crazy with the home runs. Edwin Jackson started that game for the Blue Jays, Uh, but they would touch up basically every pitcher that Toronto would send to the mound that evening. It was a fun one, especially if you like the long ball. Thing flies out of Rogers Center, and it certainly did that night last year. So that's coming up tonight on Fox Sports San Diego, just about 35 minutes from now. Speaking of Fox Sports San Diego, we've had the opportunity to congratulate Don and Mud on their recent Emmy wins. But Scans, you're, of course, a part of that team as well. Congratulations to you.
2: Thanks, Jesse. I appreciate it. Uh, it's, it's certainly an honor. And as I've said before, it, just to be a part of that broadcast team. Um, I, I say I'm just a small, small ingredient of the Don and Mud Flambe. <laughs> you know, they put together a great show all the time. It's always exciting. They do an amazing job. So congratulations to them and to everybody that is in the background, behind the scenes, uh, behind the camera that that make those uh, broadcasts. Everything that they can be. Thank you so much for uh, all their all their support and everything that they do as well. But thanks, Jesse. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah, of course. Uh, Producer Jason Lewis, director Zach Jensen, also Emmy Award winners. But like you said, even beyond that, the number of people it takes to put on one of those games is uh, absolutely remarkable. Ben, appreciate it. Glad we could help you get some fresh air tonight. Yeah, I'm feeling a little flambéed
0: myself. I should have put a little more sunscreen on. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm just glad no creatures jumped out from behind yeah, you. Uh, safe yard you got very,
0: very safe here in Encinitas. Don't worry, Bob.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, thanks uh, to everybody for hanging out, to Kelly Sullivan for joining us and uh, sharing her story again. Uh, GoPedal.org for all the information on the event coming up on Saturday and just to become involved in that uh, larger event in any way you possibly can. It's a big one and a great one here. I uh, mentioned Don and Mudd will be on the show tomorrow at 5.30. We will remind Orsillo that we donated push-ups uh, to pedal the cause on his behalf. So we'll see if we get him to cash in on that. Uh, thanks again to Scans and to Ben and everybody behind the scenes on our show. Nikki, Cole, Shannon, and everybody else. Oh, June Gloom looking out at the bay as we say goodnight. Talk to you with Don and Mudd tomorrow night at 5.30. Stay safe, everyone.